Welcome to Cooper Talk. I'm your host, Steve Cooper. And remember, I'm only as hip as my guests. And I have to tell you, I have a female on today, but I'm going to tell you something, guys. If you sit there and you don't feel sensitive for your female's needs when it's that time of the month or they're complaining about bloatingness or stuff like that, this happened to me, no lie. Now, you know I've had the health problems, so you know I'm on a few different medicines. And I went to my cardiologist yesterday. And I had noticed, like the last few months, my nipples hurt. Now it wasn't it wasn't like a, you know when you get your purple nipple squeeze. They were sore, and I didn't know what it was. And I, I, you know I'm a I'm a hypochondriac, so I'm sitting there going, you know, I'm talking to my uh, girlfriend, the lovely Joanne, and I'm like, I, you think I have, like I don't want I can't have breast cancer, right? And she goes, that wouldn't be on, that wouldn't be on your nipples. And and I said, okay. So I didn't know what to do. So I go to the doctor, and now my doctor, Doctor Dan, is a great doctor, but he's a ball buster. And I I, I didn't hear the rest of it of yesterday. But he's saying, how am I feeling? I said, you know, everything's good. You know, my heart rate, I still suffer from the AFib, stuff like that. I can't help that. The medicine helps them. But I said, my nipples hurt. And he's like, oh, that's a, that's a common, uh, that's a common uh, side effect of the one I was on a diuretic because of congestive heart failure. You, had, you know, they want you to keep the fluids down. So they took me off it, thank God. So it's day two, and they're still a little sensitive. But I'm going to tell you something. When your wife or girlfriend or whoever sits there and says, you know what? Oh, my God, my nipples hurt. Please understand them because, you know what? It sucks. And, you know, I mean, I only, they have to deal with it once a month for years. You guys just be attentive and look after it for the needs because you never want your nipples to hurt. And that's all I'd say about my nipples. That's all. Hey, my guest is uh, Vicki Wagner. How you doing, Vicki? Hi, Steve. I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. No problem. Well, it's funny because people, because I had a guest cancel and Vicki reached out to me a while ago and uh, she sent me an, and I was thinking maybe I'll get in June and she had a great bio and she has a great story and I'm just going to really let her um, tell some of her stories because there's some interesting, interesting stuff about her childhood growing up with bikers and then the Air Force? Yeah, I was in the Air Force. Yes. And that, that, so now now you're from Chicago, I believe? Yep. Okay. Now, like the suburbs, were you in the, like the Chicago, like downtown Chicago, or like... No, actually, my I grew up, my parents are both from Chicago, and then my dad worked on the railroad train. And so we he worked at the yard, which is in a suburb called Bensonville, and then they transferred him out to the farthest area. It's about 40 miles northwest of Chicago in a little suburb called Elgin, which okay. at the time was the third largest city in Illinois. And so you grew up, and now, now, did you know your parents were bikers from the uh, very beginning? Were they, were they oh, yeah. the Hell's Angels, or oh, yeah. what kind of bikers were they? Actually, the they were the Devil's Disciples, and they were a branch of the Hell's Angels. I saw a Gangland about them because I love, I love, I'm addicted to that show, Gangland. Except now they're getting like a little, a little like lame, like you know the punk boys from Fresno because they ran out of gangs. But I saw, so they were in the gang. Yeah, they were in a gang. Actually, the guy, a guy who was in the Hell's Angels, uh, his name is Sonny Seibel, I think, and uh, he or Sonny Barger, I can't recall, but I think it's Sonny Barger. He came out to Illinois and started it, and then my dad joined in the Devil's Disciples, and he rose up and became the president of it. Okay. So my entire life, and I think my dad told me he had his motor- first motorcycle when he was 13. Okay. So, I mean, my entire life since the day I was born, that's all I can remember is big-ass, burly biker guys, and Steve, that's when actually the guy all had tattoos when if you had tattoos you were a badass yes you know it's funny because I, I graduated college in 1986 and like no one had tattoos and I remember like the hottest girl on our campus we used to call her junior miss had a tattoo of a rose in her ankle and we're like oh my god because no one had them and one time a girl showed up with this and I'm sorry it was an ugly tattoo and I have a problem I don't have any problem do you have any tattoos no I don't have any okay, I don't. I don't have tattoos either and I think a beautiful tattoo is is 
a beautiful artwork. But I have a problem now in these days. Back in those days, it was different because they had totally. the, the, the ink, the almost like the puke green ink and the, and the shake like Michael J. Fox did it. It's all shaky and stuff. But now, when there's so many great tattoos, when people have like tattoos they don't fill in, you're like, you're like wait, you look like an idiot. Wait till you're like, well, I want to get the money. But wait till you have all the money till you start. Well, back then, it was kind of a status symbol. Like, if you had a tattoo in the late 60s or the early 70s, it meant something. It meant, like, don't mess with me. Because it wasn't like, like you said, today where a girl's got a little butterfly and, like, right. look at my butterfly or some guy's going to get, like, a tiger claw on his arm and, like, I'm bad. It's like, you're not bad. Yeah, that doesn't like, mean like, anything anymore. It's like the barbed wire. And the guy weighs, like, 40 pounds. You're like, yeah, whatever. Get out of it's here. It's like wearing a button-up shirt. It's like, give me a break. I mean, anybody has a tattoo nowadays. Yeah, no, so do your parents both have tats? No. no we, neither we, one of them. Oh, your dad didn't have tats, no, so even though he's a bike, but guys would show up. Well, I wonder, did you, know, did you ever talk to him why he didn't get tats? Or he never? Just, I think he just did. I, I don't know why. I mean, I'm not sure. I never did ask him that, but I mean, all of the guys, I mean, imagine, like you said, you watch Gangline. I, mean, I don't know if you've ever seen Sons of Anarchy or anything. I've seen the show, yeah. I mean, the guys are big guys, hairy guys, right. long beard, like ZZ Top. I mean, greasy guys. And they would actually wear their motorcycle chains for belts so that when they got into fights, they would take their chain off and hit somebody over okay. the head. I mean, they were bad guys. Right, okay? yeah. Anytime. I mean, all all the biker gangs back there, they were just insane. I mean, they were they were, they were true outlaws. They were rebels. Yeah, but my dad wasn't. You know, my dad was actually the clean cut biker guy because he worked on the train, so he had to keep his his hair cut, okay. like a nice military haircut. So he had to look presentable, and I think maybe that's one of the reasons why he never got any tattoos. But all the other guys, I mean, some of the guys would carry like a gun on their leg and a knife. But my dad was like the, even though he was the president, he was like the maybe the, like the CEO type of the motorcycle gang. Now, what what did your neighbors think? I mean, because it's like, I mean, there's, I mean, and back then. It's not like now where there's bikes. All you didn't see a lot of motorcycles back then. I, mean, I did. You did. You, I know you did. But the rest of America didn't see that. And it's like now, you know, because of TV, the gangs are just, you know, yeah, whatever. But back then, I mean, what did your neighbors think? I mean, well, when I was younger, okay, so we lived in the suburb until I was about seven, and okay. I mean, I don't really recall very much before then. But you know. I don't know what the neighbors thought, but my mom was always like, nobody bothered us, ever. Okay. But then when I turned seven, my parents moved out to the suburb called Elgin, and they bought a seven-acre horse ranch. Now, there was only 2.2 square miles of horse ranch property surrounded by, like, a city. So we were like an anomaly out there. So, I mean, literally, there would be, like, two, 100 bikers rolling up our driveway, and there's enough room to accommodate okay. them all. So, and we would have bonfires that were 20 feet wide. So there was nobody coming to check in on us. I mean, nobody was coming to complain about us. Now, growing up as a kid, um, and because, you know, you got into comedy and you do writing and stuff like that, were you, did you, were your parents fans of comedy or did they in influence your comedy at all when you were a kid? Because, like, you know, some comics, you know, the, the Cosby playing, the parents had this. Were you around, I mean, what, did you think as a little kid you wanted to do comedy or were your parents com? I mean, did they have a comedy edge to them? Or what? No, actually, um, and we didn't get to watch that much TV, to be honest with you. I mean, we're no soap operas, nothing okay. like that. And um, my family is a very funny family, especially my mom's side. My mom's side of the family. I'm talking my grandmother. She is a type of a lady who would call my mom up every Sunday and tell her a joke before she went to church. Oh. And my family, you know, we, you know, did a lot when we were younger. We didn't have a lot of money, so we would stay home, like Friday night dance night down in our basement, and then everybody would just laugh and be crazy. But I have an extremely funny mom, sister. My brother was funny. It just, I think, it's natural for us. And when you grow up like that, you're just naturally funny. 
because you're not afraid you're not afraid to express yourself okay. because your family accepts you so you just think that the outside world will too now you sat there and I know in your bio you said you went to Catholic school yeah now now what you said when you before your mom would go to church so were your parents religious oh yeah so, I mean, it was, was a title it was a title Steve I mean they just wanted to sound bad like I said it was like you know we went to a Catholic school because you know my mom had gone to a Catholic school and I do believe my dad did too it just we were you know Irish Catholics okay and if you're in Chicago at that time that's you know oh that's a big deal if you're an Irish Catholic and so we we went to the school because the public schools that were where we lived weren't that good okay and so and also i think my mom and that's a true story i came home in the third grade a second grade with two black boyfriends and i think my mom's like no you're gonna go to a catholic school because okay. i was like hey i got two black boyfriends <laughs> and asian bring them on <laughs> i just was collecting young boys at the time that's that's so uh, funny and it's I, 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 I can just imagine like the the nuns and the priests probably like you know when your parents went to like parent teacher conference they must have been like holy crap we better be nice to these people i mean it's just it's weird because you, you don't you think you don't think of a biker I mean even though they're driving up on a Harley to a pe- you, don't, you don't think about that especially back then I mean they must have been like what what the hell well actually like I said when my, when my dad rolled with the guys I mean it was a fun for me it was a fun time I mean I loved all these guys they didn't seem threatening to me that was just what I grew up with but I think I don't think they drove motorcycles to the school but like I said my dad he still had the clean cut image so I don't think they knew so much but in our own personal life I mean my uncle my dad's the oldest of seven kids so okay. they got in a lot of, my dad and his brothers they got you know his brothers got in a lot of trouble and all the other biker guys got in trouble and you know I saw a lot of police action when I was a kid and so chaos was just part of how I grew up alright so now now I know um, you ended up going to the Air Force but now in high school what were your I mean first of all what were you, what did you want to do I mean it's like you know I mean people like you know a lot of times I talk to people who do comedy that they always thought it was in their mind, but they had no idea how to do it. And like me, I went to college, and then I, I was like, okay, well, I'll do it. You know, I'll do it eventually. But what did you know you wanted to do? I mean, why no. did you, you pick the Air Force? Well, the Air Force, okay, well, I, first of all, I had no idea that you could even become a comedian, and we'll talk about that later. So okay. comedy wasn't even on my agenda or anything. I mean, I was just that kid in high school who was that funny person who was always, I mean, the class clown. I got sent to the dean's office all the time. for. I wanted to make people laugh, so I would do things to make everybody laugh right. even at the expense of myself going to the dean's office which I went quite often but so my thing about going into the Air Force was you know my mom and dad got divorced when I was 12 and um, my dad really didn't pay his share of the child support at the time so it was just my mom left to raise my brother my sister and myself okay and my brother when he graduated high school him and his friend they joined the Navy together and then I he would send letters of him traveling all over and I'm like that's what I want to do I want to travel and I knew we didn't have the money for me to go travel and we also didn't have the money to send me to some prestigious college and granted I was you know graduated 43rd in my class so it was like I had the opportunity where I could go to college if I would have you know gone that way but I was like got in my head oh I'm gonna travel all over the the world you know that's what I thought I'm like oh I get to pick my destination and that's not what happens when you join the military just so you know so what ended up happening is in my senior year of high school my brother was killed in a car accident while he was in the Navy and then my mom was like are you sure this is what you still want to do and I'm like it's especially really what I want to do now because I now realize at a very young age when I was 17 that life is short and yeah I wanted to travel and I was just thinking that was my only way that I could do it so I enlisted okay so you enlist and now you got thrown out 
Yeah, I after did. How many years? Um, just after a year and a half, you know, because back then they ask you if you're gay. Well, honestly, I didn't think I was gay. I mean, I had a boyfriend. I had a lot of boyfriends. You were black boyfriends, Asian boyfriends. I you had them all. all young. You I'm not kidding. I had them all. Okay. I don't think there's a race I haven't dated. <laughs> you know, I don't. I don't. I don't Armenian. I'm, no, you know what? I don't think I have. Okay, I, you know why? Because we didn't grow up. Uh, I, know, I, I always tell people, I tell my girlfriend, they're everywhere out here. They're my not. Like, she doesn't know what they're like. Back east, we call they're them guidos. They're basically the Italian guys. Same thing. I didn't grow up. So, you're right. Okay, so I digress. I didn't uh, grow up with any uh, Armenians in, in the suburb of Chicago. But yeah, so, so I went in. I was not. I wasn't gay. So, so they actually that. ask you, they would say, like, like paperwork, like... Uh, Caucasian, yes. gay or not? Yes, they did. Okay. Are you gay? And I was like, well, I'm not gay. I mean, I had, a, honestly, when I went to enlist, I had a boyfriend. And um, I didn't, I had never even been with a girl or anything at that point. But I was put on what's called the delayed enlistment program because at that time, a lot of people wanted to join the Air Force. And so I think I joined up like in May of 2000 and, um, not 2000 women talking about May of 1988 and I didn't go in until April of 19 of 1989 okay and at that time yeah I had you know my boyfriend actually introduced me to his um, sis his sister's friend who was gay and I was like hey and then we hooked up but I thought okay I slept with a girl that doesn't make me gay right that means I'm horny you know right right I'm having a good time so so you're in there for a while now how do they find out you're gay now I mean what happens some girl, oh, because um, I guess I put my hand on a girl's leg and she reported me for being gay. Now, mind you, at the time, I had a boyfriend in the Air Force at the time, but I was, you know, in the Air Force at that time, you could still drink. Like, I first got sent to Mississippi. <laughs> the drinking age was 18 at that time. So when I got to my main base, which was in Washington State, was Fairchild Air Force Base, you know, they really didn't, they didn't really... They, they allowed you to drink, put it that way, because they had clubs for enlisted people. And if you were 19 years old, you were you were drinking at the club. So apparently, we would go get our drink on, and I must have had my hand on this girl's leg, and she reported it that I was gay. Well, they launched into this huge investigation because I had a top secret clearance. Okay. And they launched into this nine-month-long investigation because they could never prove that I was gay. So it went on and on and on and on, and I was like, okay, great. But they told me, because I was a threat to national security, because I could be blackmailed, that they are going to put me in prison for five years. And I'm not uh, making that up. And you're not, I mean, you put your hand on someone's thigh. Yeah. So they You had a boyfriend. So I mean, it's such bull crap. I hate, I, hate, I hate when I hear stuff like that, because it's like, come on. First of all, like, who gives a crap who someone is, you know, if they're gay? They did. But I know, but so, so what happens to you then? So what happened was, when my lawyer at the time told me, he said, look, Vicky, he's like, there's a lot of gay people in the military. The difference is, is they only have a secret clearance, and you have a top secret clearance. Okay. Because the job I had, I was command post controller at a strategic air command base, which is B-52 bombers, and, you know, we got war plans. You know, we're going to go bomb somebody. But since I worked in the job, if you ever see that, that movie War Games? Yeah. That was my job. Okay. So, I mean, we literally had all the generals with the red phones where I worked. I had a top secret clearance special background, blah, blah, blah. Which is weird because Ali Sheedy played someone gay in the movie High Art. So it all comes yeah, around. See yeah, I saw, I did see that movie too yeah, when I was it? in Arizona. But yeah, so they, they, my lawyer told me, he said, if you go before a discharge board, he goes, you will go to prison for five years. He said, because <laughs> it, there's only five people on the board. And he said, if three of them think you have a homosexual tendency, you're screwed. Whether you're gay or not, they, all they have to do is prove that you committed a homosexual act, which, so I said, okay, then he said, waive your rights to a discharge board. And I said, okay. So I presented a packet on my behalf. They presented a packet. And what they ended up saying is that I had committed a homosexual act. 
and they tried to corroborate it with other people, but really there was nobody else to come forward that I hadn't, you know, right. woman handled, I guess. So they kicked me out. So they kick you out. So now what do you do? Because you're sitting there going, God, you know, I want to travel. And then you're going through this bull crap. And now, now at this point, did, did you say to yourself, I know you've been with a girl, but at this point, did you say to yourself, I'm gay? Or, do you sit there, um, I, or would you sit there probably and go, I'm, I'm not going to be gay just because they said <laughs> I am. Oh, actually, I, you know, I, I think I was at that point, you know, I think I was always gay, but I didn't know it. Because okay. when I was growing up, I mean, I'm 42, so when I was growing up, it was... No one was gay. No, because I'm, for, I'm no. 48, and when I was yeah. in college, I mean, I'm sure there, oh, there has been gay, gay people, guys, but, but, you, but no one, no no one was open about, about it. it. No. Okay. I mean, Liberace, come on. I'm right. I didn't know who Liberace was, I mean, or whatever. And I, my imi- image of what they presented a gay woman to be was a big, burly dyke and like right. flannel. And you want to know what? At that time, I was the girl in high heels and skirts. Okay. I had a nice body. I mean, I was rocking it. So I was like, if that's what gay is, then I'm not gay. But, you know, I mean, I didn't, it wasn't like you have Minnie Mouse and Minnie Mouse. You know what I mean? It was Mickey and Minnie. So growing up, that's what you think you're supposed to be. So I think it gave me an opportunity to just be like, whatever. That's who I am. You know, what? that's who I am. And I think I phased myself out of even being with guys. Okay. Because I was still with guys in the military. And I was also with girls. But I wasn't with anybody on that base where they accused me of All right. being. I was like, okay, I slept with a girl in Mississippi, one in Texas, but none here in Washington. So... So at what point do you sit there and now, you know, I mean, you're time with the Air Force. When does when does the idea of doing comedy come into your mind? Or when, when I mean, at what point do you sit there and say, okay, you know, you're, I mean, how old are you when you're getting out of the Air Force? I got kicked out when I was 20. So that's a very young 20. age. 20.5. And so you, you, what, where do you go from there? What do you well, decide I came, to do? I came out. I came out. And first of all, I'm going to tell you, I was devastated by getting kicked out. I mean, I was just humiliated, embarrassed, everything like that. And I um, moved, you know, went back to my mom's house, and I rented a room for my mom, went to work at the time, and I immediately went back to school. I started going to college, taking college classes. And I take, took a sp- I was think I was 21 at the time, and I took a speech class, and we had to, it was just part, you know, you had to take speech, and I had a teacher, we had to make up our own commercials. Okay. And so I, all the commercials I made up were hilarious, and the teacher took me aside, and the professor took me aside, and she said, you know, you really should think about going into comedy. All right. And so I was like, oh, yeah, right, I'm going to go into comedy. But I didn't even realize that that was a career. I didn't understand that that could be Most people don't. It's weird. A lot of people don't. A lot of people end this business, you know, and I have a lot of comics on the show. They all say the same thing. I mean, because you... Not like now, like you can take all these comedy classes. I mean, I took a class... (laughs) I took a class learning learning annex, but it it told me... Basically, told me where to go because you know you don't you don't have any idea to go and you know I mean luckily and to be luckily you live near Chicago so there was a scene I grew up near Philadelphia so there was a scene but if you're some kid in Iowa you're screwed you're not you know there's nowhere where you can sit there and go well, where am I going to go well actually I lived in the sub forty miles from Chicago but so I I wasn't going you know I mean I don't get me wrong I went to Chicago all the time I mean I, even when I was with my dad we rode on the train to Chicago every week. So I was very messed with that. But when I grew up, I lived out in the suburbs. And when I got out of the Air Force, my mom lived in a suburb. And um, we didn't go to Chicago. Like, we didn't hang out there. So I was taking classes and working. And, I mean, I didn't... I went to Chicago to party.
party, but I never, ever got into the comedy scene in Chicago. As a matter of fact, I didn't even start doing comedy because I was like, oh, yeah, okay, whatever, that's nice, I'm a funny person. You know, that's who I'd been my whole life. I didn't think I could parlay that into let's make some money off of this right. and have a career. It, in fact, it wasn't until I moved here to Los Angeles that I even, I did the same thing. I took a comedy class. Now, what brought you out to Los Angeles? Well, I, um, when... 1997, um, I used to be a dealer in a casino. I worked on a riverboat casino in Elgin. It's the, it was the largest riverboat casino in the world at that time. It's bigger than a football field. And I realized that, and I was a high-limits blackjack dealer. I mean, people were losing thousands. I mean, I took $68,000 from one guy in 20 minutes to give you the idea of who's sitting at my table. Right. And I realized if I could make these guys laugh, because it's mostly men who play at a high-limits table, let's be honest, if I can make these guys laugh, they're not going to be as hard on me. You know, okay. otherwise they're yelling, you effing dealer, you know, blah, 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 you know, you suck, whatever. Well, it has nothing to do with the dealer. It's how you play yeah. your cards. It has exactly. to do with what that guy does next to you. I mean, if that guy stays on a 16 against a 20 and a 4 comes out, you know, on your, your 10, you need to blame that guy, not the dealer. So I realized if I could make these guys lighten up a little bit and laugh, you know, that they would still tip me and then it wouldn't be so hard on me. So that was 19, so 1994 to 1997, I worked as a dealer. I met a girl, a lady, who I became friends with, you know, just sitting at my table. She was, she sat down at my table. We played one-on-one, -on -one, $50 a hand. We became friends because she won like eight grand from me. So of course she wanted to come back to my table over and over. Right. Well, she moved to Scottsdale. She for a whole year, she played at the at the boat, and she kept on saying, "Oh, you should move to Phoenix and move to Scottsdale. It's so beautiful there." And I had never even been to Arizona, and sh so that winter it was freezing cold, like snowing like crazy. And I just thought to myself, "Well, why should I live here? I should move there." And literally, yeah, of course, I decided. Literally, she's like, "Well, I'm moving there. You should move out there too." And we were just friends. There was nothing, you know, between us. And so I decided, well, let me put my house up for sale and see what happens. And literally, I never even got a real estate agent or anything. I put a notice at my work, and two weeks later, somebody bought my house, so I figured it must be meant to be. Yeah. So I moved out to Phoenix, and I actually went to the Academy of Radio and Television Broadcasting okay. when, when I was there, because I moved out there. I'm like, well, what am I going to do out here? And I thought, oh, okay, I'll, I'll make films, you know. So I got into this, I got into this class, and then I ended up working for UPN in Phoenix, United Paramount. Right. And so, make a long story short, my mother owned a house down in San Clemente, and it was her vacation house, and she she wanted someone to live in it. And so, she wooed me from Phoenix. I lived in Phoenix a year and a half. She wooed me there to live in her house all by myself. It was this gorgeous house. You know, it's like five-bedroom, five-bathroom okay. over the ocean. And that's how I got to California. Okay. And then I started working for the news. And it, what, did, what did you do for the news? I worked as a master control operator. And I worked for the news for like two years. And then I'm like, this is not what I want to do. So I moved up here to West Hollywood. That's where I live now. And Now, were you, at this time, were you openly gay? Were you dating? Or oh, you yeah. Just, okay, totally. So I mean, you have to fast forward. I was totally op openly gay. Okay. You know, but I mean, I'm like the kind of person that's just like, you know, I don't label everybody. But right. I mean, I'm, I figured like what you'd said. I got kicked out of the Air Force. They put it on my discharge papers. I had to register with um, the county to get any type of any type of a benefit or anything, or to even say I was in the military. You have to register, and it says right there. So I became an out lesbian. Like, hey, I'm gay, and if you don't like it, too bad. Right. But I was never a militant or anything. I mean, I've always had guy friends, and I mean, as a matter of fact, there's a fallacy that lesbians don't like men, and that is just absolutely absurd. I mean, lesbians get along better with men because we think the same way. Right. Right, right. That's Give me a break. <laughs> that is true. So you come out here. So now you you're, you move to West Hollywood, 
and you're working and you're going, ah, you know what, this just this this new stuff's not my gig. And now, then where do you, when do you, when do you sit there and go, you know what, I'm going to change it up, I want to do comedy, I want to just, I, I can't stand the news anymore. Well, what happened was I couldn't stand the news anymore, is right, because the news is depressing, Steve. I mean, come on, it's all. And it's so funny out here, it's, it's so funny out here, it's actually not as depressing, and it's still damn depressing. No, you're right, it's like not. Like back east, or like in Chicago or Philly, it's like you watch it, and it's like, Hardcore. I go back to see my girlfriend, and it's like, we're watching TV, and it's like, you know, eight shot in Philly, <laughs> uh, what? And like here you're going, oh, the Kardashians yeah. blew someone, you know, it's just like okay, that. exactly. Except, so it's just different and then they sit there like the fourth story you know you're like okay well I don't care if Bieber punched spit on his neighbor <laughs> right. but it's still but it's still let's depressing. follow somebody in their car exactly. that's news it's, it's I thought the exact same thing you know because being from Chicago I'm like seriously this is what people this is the news out here right. but even though it's still if you work in it and you know you have three new, you know three broadcasts a day if you work at the news I work from the 3 to the 11.30 so you have three broadcasts 3 o'clock 7 6 o'clock whatever and it was like it's all death you know destruction you know somebody died someone got raped there's a fire and when you hear that every single day for nine hours a day all day long you just forget it so i started dating a girl who was an actress out here and she was like let's go to all these one woman shows because she had a one you know was doing a one woman show so we literally went and saw these one person shows and i thought these people are not even funny and they weren't they were trying to be funny and i had been hearing like my whole life since i told you oh you're so funny you should be a comedian i've heard that thousands of times i'm not kidding you and so this girl i was dating knew a lady who um was teaching a comedy class and she was like well you know why don't you just go to the comedy class and i was like oh all right whatever so i went to the comedy class and you know the lady says to everybody look i can teach anybody how to be a comedian she said but i cannot teach anybody how to be funny oh that's true that's one thing i always sit there it's like you know either you're funny or not and 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 it's awful to say that but it's you can teach someone where to go and how to do it and structure but then you know even for me half the time structure is bullcrap because then you're sitting there you're not being yourself right you know in my act goes my rant to doing my dumb jerry lewis impression and it's all over the place and so structure it's not sound but i just i don't know it's always weird so i think just as you said people are funny and 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 people can be and there's people who are probably the funniest people you know who aren't comics they're salesmen right but that makes them make a shitload of money That's because right. they know it's the it's it's just you know it's instinct i think comedy is all instinct i think you're right and that's true because i mean especially if you're doing fundraising or anything i mean the only way people are going to bring out their wallet is if you can make them laugh right. or if you can make them cry exactly and it's a lot nicer to make them laugh exactly so but i mean i went to the the thing and like you said i learned the structure and i think I mean, honestly, that's what it got me stuck into this um, type of a routine of, oh, you know, I'm supposed to, you know, set up, punch, premise, you know, whatever. And I got my, that was in 2002. And so I, what ended up happening was at that time, that particular comedy coach told me I should do my act on getting kicked out of the military for being gay. And she said, because nobody else is doing that. Right, you never heard of that. Right. And so I thought, that's not what I want to do my act on. That doesn't seem funny to me, but it ended up being funny. And that lady was a business person and she was right because they got me tons of publicity and exposure. And the next thing you know, you know, I mean, within six months I had blown up and was already traveling across See, the country. The only problem with that is, and this is weird, and you probably looking back you probably said wow is 
when you get that kind of exposure and you soon. blow up it's way too soon it was way too soon it's, it's the old every, it's every act has you know after six months 30 minutes it's like no it's like uh, I mean Willie Barsanam was on a few weeks ago he's done 14 Tonight Show appearances even right there that's only 98 minutes and so and he's a national headliner he's also an hour specials so you have to regenerate stuff so people don't understand that you really have to and he's been doing comedy for 20 years you have to work your ass off so was it weird for you to start getting all this work because well it was it was because what happened was you know I took the class and then right at the end um, you know they, they she put me towards the end because I guess I had risque material and you know it was at the improv of course but there was some book comedy bookers and right away a bunch of bookers and I honestly it was a funny act it was I'm not going to say it was it was a it, but, but come on it was seven minutes exactly I mean, that's you, the thing you, you, could seven. Fu- you could be funny for right. seven minutes if you can't be funny for seven minutes get you're out of comedy business. yeah it's like if you go to the ice house and don't get a laugh get out of business right and so exactly and so it's like okay I'm on stage for seven minutes and all these people oh we want to book you book you and then I started doing all these shows all I mean on patios coffee houses I mean I started it for a small doing it the way everybody else did just and I just took everybody who asked me I just took their booking okay I'll drive out to Pomona okay I'll drive to West Covina which I did too I mean okay I'm in a bowling alley in West Covina and um I'm the only white per- white female here, you know, and I'm telling my joke on getting kicked out of the military. Right. <laughs> Tony Rock's talking about his penis, you know what I mean? Yeah, but that, one thing also that's funny about that is, and, and this is what I've learned, is, well, I mean, it, it's beneficial when you're new, when you play those crap gigs, because people, <laughs> people don't understand, you know. People oh, they start suck. They suck. with clubs here, and then they, they sit there, and, and of course you can go to flappers, and there's going to be good crowds. They pay money to laugh. So you're going to do good at flappers. Right. But then you suck in that cocky head, saying, oh, yeah. And then you sit there, and you're stuck in, you know, like back east, it was like you're stuck in Betty's Fireside, right. where, the, where the hecklers are good. And you're sitting there, you know, and you have to do 30 minutes, and you're sitting there going, holy crap, I'm at eight minutes, and my... My, I have no more material, and people are yelling at you. Yeah, get it and off. you learn, you learn how to be tough, and then when you do the clubs, you appreciate it that much more. I think girl, it's easier for girls because I've I've never been booed off a stage or told to get off. I think people are more comfortable to do that with guys. Oh, yeah, but I have bombed before. I mean, see, don't I, get me wrong. I think what sucks for women is th- there's a lot of guys have that preconceived notion that oh, this woman's not funny. They, they always right. think that like like before I mean you can say oh, not, like it's one I love when I host Cooper's Angels it was all females so then there was some acts who weren't funny there were some acts that were and then right. there's me who I know how to host the show and so I would do it some time up front in between but I, in that when that crowd they weren't didn't have preconceived notion but I think so many people go oh yeah it's a girl uh, it's, t- right. it's, time to, it's time to take a piss the girl's coming <laughs> in and it's awful to say yeah. and it's, I mean it must be you know but I think because you're a different angle talking about you know they weren't back then there wasn't a lot of us being no, I mean, it's well, like there wasn't. Well, there was, but there wasn't. And the thing is, is that I really didn't tailor my whole thing about being gay. Because okay. I mean, I'm so much more than that. Right. And you know, I when as I got a longer routine, that only became like five minutes okay. of my routine. You know, I'd throw it in there, but I would shock him with something else. I mean, I'm just I am what you would imagine somebody who grew up with bikers from Chicago is. Okay. I'm in your face, tell it like it is type of person. And I like to talk about, you know, every I'm an observationalist. You know, so if you're whacking off, if I see a guy, you know, talking about whacking off, I'm going to bring that up because girls don't talk about that right, kind of stuff. Right, you know, okay. but guys are like, hey, blow me, you know, stuff like that, you know, and that's the kind of things I like to joke about. So I'd always get the straight audience on my side anyway. Okay. 
you know. So, so you're doing these gigs and you're getting a lot of work. You're getting a lot of work and you know, you're growing as an act. And then when does the diabetes hit? When do you find out? Because I know you said you left the business. How long were you yeah. doing the business before Four you left years. it? And so you're doing it. So you're, you're traveling and you're making a living at it, I'm guessing. Yeah, well, a meek, like I'm eking out a living. Okay, but, you, but you're yeah. still doing it. So it's, it's a great thing. And so well, like for me, when I had my congestive heart failure, what happened was I just, I could not move. I had no energy. I got misdiagnosed as a respiratory infection. Oh, my God. And, but, but, and it's scary. But then you sit there and, and thank God, thank God for me, I had just got insurance a month before. Thank so. God for you. Yeah, my bill would have been forty four thousand dollars. It was like nineteen hundred. But so you're sitting. There, are you are you seeing your? Uh, well, what what happened? Did you what notice? Ha- what happened was, um, just like any other comic or the comics, what you should do is work your ass off, like you said. And I took every gig, you know, even non paying gigs, just to hone my act, get better, get better. And I was performing about like five days a week, and then traveling. Well, I also was. Um, you know, I was a little, I was overweight, but it wasn't like a, you know, I'm not a big fat pig, you know, stuff in my face. What was your diet like? Was I? I mean, I had a, a diet of a comedian. Oh, okay. let's have some chicken fingers. Ramen, and, you know, ramen noodle. Oil. Yeah. Just, okay. At the club too, you know, and you're eating. But the thing that was my downfall is that I was drinking to get energy. I don't know, it was my thing. I, I was drinking Coca Cola, but at the club, you know, it's a huge like 50 ounce right. glass, and I was drinking like four of those a night, every night. And so I was putting, I didn't know it, I wasn't even thinking about it, and, and everybody out there should know this, you're putting like 200 extra grams of sugar into your body on top of whatever your diet is, right. whether it's good or bad. And I just started feeling like sick, I was sick all the time, I, was, I would get a cold and the cold would last for a month and I can't get rid of it, or I would get like, my colds would turn into pneumonia. I'm like, what is wrong with me? And I just was so exhausted. And some of these gigs that I would take, you know, where I was, uh, I got booked to be like a, the MC of some gay pride events. In other states, like you said, you're in the middle of the country. They're like, ooh, here comes our, you know, our celebrity. I mean, it wasn't a celebrity, but to them, you know, this little town. And they want you to come out and meet everybody at the town. So right. come to dinner with us, and we're going to dinner, and we're, you're going to meet these people. And back then, everybody's smoking still. And so you're in a comedy, you're in the club, everybody's smoking. You go to the dinner, everybody's smoking, and then your resistance gets worn down, and you're meeting, meeting, and you have to be on for the entire weekend. Like right. You don't have a break, and you're like, hello, you know, you're, you don't have a chance to relax. So I would just get so burned out that I went to the doctor, and I said, I don't know what is wrong with me. I'm just, I have no energy. I'm so burned out. I'm sick all the time. And I said, you have diabetes. And I'm like, well, what, what is that? You know, right. what does that mean? You know, I'm 34 years old. What does that mean? I have exactly. diabetes. That's an old person's disease. Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, 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 yeah, especially, you know. So, so what happens? So what happened was, you know, the doctor told me about this, and he's like, look, and he explained to me, when you're a diabetic, and I'm not sure how it is for your, your heart, you know, congestive heart failure, but if you're a diabetic, your immune system is completely impaired. Mine, see, mine's fine, just because it's just, I just get fluid, that's it. I mean, my soul, I don't get sick as much. Oh, you get, well, if you're a diabetic, you, you get everything okay. three times as long as anybody else. I mean, if you get a cut, it's going to take you three times to heal it. Okay. If you get a cold, it's going to take you three to four times to get over it. And I was just so exhausted. And and honestly, at the time, I had a girlfriend who was a handful, you know, it's like just a bitchy kind of a girlfriend. And it was just so much that I just said, you know what? It was, I quit cold turkey. I said, I can't even do it anymore. I had, I headlined in a Reno for this uh, event called Winterfest. And I went up there and it was just so much. And I got so sick that when we came, I came back from the headlining gig and there was a TV show that I was on at the same time. I did like three, I shot three TV shows. Did the headlining gig in Reno, came over there, it was snowing there, come back here to this weather, you know, touching everybody, got so sick, and I just said, you know what, that's it, I can't, this can't be my career anymore, I'm going to have to find something else as a career, because I can't sustain this. Right. 
So, so you sit there, and, and it's it's hard, and we all come back to it. That's the thing. It's like they pull us back in. But you leave, and now you went back to school? Yeah, what ended up happening was then I thought to myself, okay, because when I lived in Illinois, I got my associate's degree. And then I started going to school for marketing, and then I got the casino job. And the casino job was nights. I worked nights. So while I was going to school, there would be two days out of the week where I had to stay up every week for, you know, four months for 48 hours. Okay. And I was like, because I couldn't, you know, I worked at night, got, went to school, worked at night, then immediately went to school, then worked at night. And so I never finished my degree when I was younger. And so so I thought, you know what, I need to maybe get a degree and become a grown-up and get a job like everybody else. And I was going to, I thought to myself, oh, I'm going to become a politician. You know, that's what I thought. And so I'm like, I'll go get my degree in political science. So I had my plan, and I'm like, I'm going to get my political science degree, and then I'm going to go to law school, and then I'm going to be a politician. And then I, so I went to get my degree in political science, and then my first task is, ooh, I'm going to run for city council. Well, I was going to run for city council in West Hollywood. I found out I'd have to raise $200,000 to compete against the other city council. I'm like, $200,000? Well, I was still going to school at the time. I'm like, I don't have time to reach out and fundraise, and you don't have the Rolodex these people had. And then I started, they give you this book of, you know, rules and regulations and what they check up on you. And I'm like, oh my God, I'm going to be crucified for my past if I ever try to go into my biker past. But right. But let's be honest. I mean, I did a lot of drugs when I was growing up. I was promiscuous. I mean, I have everything going against me. I'm like, I'll never become a politician. So in the meantime, I started thinking, oh my God, I miss being an entertainer. I just, you know, I really, really missed that. So I graduated in December 2007. And right before I graduated, I started thinking, I'm going to start just taking some acting class. Maybe I'll be an actor. Okay. You know? Yeah. Not, but, uh, you know, because comedians, I mean, you're a comedian, you know, you're, you want to have fun, you know, you right. can't be like, I hope I could maybe get some acting gigs, but I thought, okay, I'll take some acting classes, and I, I took this acting boot camp, which was like a month long, and I became friends with these girls, and I just started giving them advice on their boyfriends, and I started giving the guys advice on their girlfriends, and I'm like, oh, I have an idea, I'll come up with a talk show, and I'll give people advice, you know, I'll give straight people advice. So what ended up happening was my way of still maintaining like a sense of comedy was I did a web an in, internet web show called Lesbian Knows Best. Okay, now you you, you shot that and it was um, you shot basically it was a camera shoot and yeah. how, how often would you do it? Well, what we did was I a friend of mine had a, a huge house and she allowed us to use her house when we with the huge ceilings and everything. I I actually hired a crew. I had all the camera equipment back then because of course my background's in television broadcasting, so right. I had a three chip camera, all that. So I would hire a crew with PAs, everything, makeup artist, everything. I'd put an ad on um, LA Casting for people who wanted advice, right? So I put the ad out and I would book um, nine to 12 people in a day since we'd set up for the entire day. So we would shoot once, like twice a month, uh, 10 episodes, 10 to 12 episodes in one day. Okay. And then, so what I would do with all the little, and they were mini episodes too, like nothing over seven minutes. Okay, so the seven minutes, okay, so. Nobody wants to listen to, watch somebody they don't know on YouTube. So you start doing that and it gets a little following. Yeah, well, what happened was it well it got viewed a lot, and you know, I got I've gotten right now over a million views on it. But it just became like, oh, you're the lesbian that knows best, you know. And I'm like, oh well, I was just trying it out as a joke. I mean, seriously, it started as a joke. Like, okay, I'm gonna give these straight people don't know how to do their relationships. They're completely wrong about what the opposite sex really thinks, you know. So I'm gonna give them advice, and I got a following. I I we shot 60 episodes actually. So how did you get the word about it? How did you get the word? You know, because YouTube's so weird. It's like the weird thing about YouTube is you can see some great things that get like a thousand hits, and you see like this 
big fat lady in the toilet <laughs> sitting on the toilet. Yeah. And she has like 25 million hits. You're like, well, who's one? I watched it. Yeah. I'm, sitting there, I'm a man in my late 40s. Why am I watching women sitting on the right. toilet when right. there's so much other good stuff on there? How did you start getting the following? Well, what happened was, how, how what happened was, I and I totally agree with you that, you know, people transfer viral videos with their friends if they think it's funny and so what I think happened was a lot of the people who initially were coming to my show because of the title were guys that wanted to watch they were thinking oh it's girl on girl okay. action so yeah that didn't tame like, oh, lesbian oh. knows best like what I know how what, do we, what does she know best like how to please another woman you know and it was right. nothing like that you know yeah. and so I mean I even got some comments like what is this show this is what I was expecting I'm like what were you expecting a porn show so you could whack it right, at home right. so, so how did you the advice where did you learn your, just to use your instinct to get these people involved? Yeah, because, I mean, okay, when I was uh, working at the casino, my roommate, my best friend uh, was a guy, and he lived, he worked on the boat with me. He became my roommate of like three years. And he was a really good looking, handsome guy, great body, but he just bombed with the ladies all, all the right. time. And I would tell him, I won't say his name. I would just tell him, hey, you are going about this all wrong. And then I just start giving all kinds of advice. And he was a hairy guy. And I'm like, you got to trim your balls. And, you know, I mean, everything that you would tell somebody right. that a girl would want. And then, you know. I better go trim my balls. <laughs> you uh, should. Like, no, I'm joking. I, I, I manscape. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I have manscape. I'm, a, I'm a hairy guy. That hair gets in your mouth. I'm a hairy please. guy. I shave my chest. And it's like, and it's like I have to because now because it's you get too hairy. But it's so bad. It's like everyone has like the OCD moment. Like you're looking and you're going, wait, there's a little bit here. And wait. And you're like, finally, you go, screw it. Well, hair on the guy's chest actually is sexy. Nah, I don't like it. It anymore. is. It's sexy. But mine's on your going, balls, mine's it's get, too much. Mine's getting gray. So I'm like, ah, screw it. Oh, I, don't, yeah. I don't want gray hair chest. No, you don't I don't look like Hume Cronin. Yeah, but your balls, you got to trim that. I mean, because as somebody who has given a blowjob, that stuff gets in your mouth. Yeah. <laughs> okay? So, <laughs> so you're telling these people that. Now, you um, and are people digging your advice? Is it, are they going, this is yeah, great? Yeah, some people were really digging it, and some people just wanted with their mean comments, like, ah, shut up, you know, blah, 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 whatever, and because they were coming there. But I thought, okay, now I thought to myself, oh, well, I have this show and I'm shooting in somebody's house. It doesn't seem legit. And I live in West Hollywood and they have public access station there. I'm like, oh, now I'll get a legitimate show in a studio with three cameras and I'll change my format and I'll start in, you know, interviewing, you know, not giving advice to anybody. I'll start in interviewing like directors and musicians right. and authors. And honestly, we came to the studio. I tried it for a year and I'm going to tell you something. I was bored with it. Because it wasn't these outlandish, crazy stories I was hearing. I mean, you wouldn't believe the stuff people would tell me. Well, I could well, imagine. I sp when, you, when you're special when it's uh, giving you advice, you know, you, you probably, people were like that. And they don't like, tell you anything. They, they told me anything. They don't even know me. First of all, I sent out a questionnaire because, I mean, I really wanted to get the best, you know, candidates for the show. I made them fill out a questionnaire. What, you know, what do you need advice on? Blah, blah, blah. Did you ever, did you ever get a completely, completely like, whack jobs that got in yes. touch with you? I mean, like, oh my God. tell me a whack job. I want to hear some of the whack job stories here. And then, or some that you just wouldn't want to put on there because they were just so freaking weird. Oh, or even boring. Boring. Okay. okay, because a lot of times on my question, they're like, why would you want to be, why do you want to be on TV? Oh, because I'm a star. I'm like, who are you? You're right. nobody. I'll make people watch. I'm like, how are you going to make people watch? You know, like, what's so interesting about you that people would want to watch you? And some people did get, they wanted to go all the way into this sexual, you know, place of these perversions that they wanted. I'm like, you know, that's, it's kind of 
trying to be like a funny advice show. You right, know? not yeah. You want to stick a hammer right. in your penis not, not, and not like you know, stretch it out. Exactly. You need to keep that to yourself, yeah. you know? So uh, although there would probably be a following for a show right. like that, it just wasn't what I was trying to call. I wanted to kind of give like lighthearted advice. Like, you know, I a guy who he just, his small penis, and what do I do when I have a small penis? And it's like, okay, it's really about confidence. There's so much more. I mean, I had girls who told me they couldn't get a penis in there. It wouldn't fit, you know. I mean, and I would honestly tell them, well, you need to stretch it out with a dildo or something, yeah. you know. I mean, you need to loosen it up, you know. It needs some action. And so those are the types of people I was getting on my show. I mean, I even had a 22-year-old kid on my show who had a vasectomy because he didn't want to get anybody pregnant. So, okay, so you got some you got some different crazy people. So so now you, you go to do the, uh, the access, public access, and it's not fun for you. It wasn't, no. Because what happened was I was starting to get people on the show who wanted to promote themselves. And it became like, (laughs) I had this lady on the show, Steve, one time, and she was a cheese lady. And I, a cheese and wine lady, and she just wanted to tell everybody. And there was a point, she would not stop talking enough for me to ask her any questions. Like, she just wanted to just put all her information out there. And I actually just turned to the camera, and she had a cheese plate with her. And I just started eating the cheese. Okay. And And there was wine, so I started drinking the wine. And I just kind of cheers, and my crew was cracking up, you know, because they knew it was happening. But I'm like, well, this isn't even fun. I mean, all these people are just blabbering on right. about you can find me here and you could do this and find me there. It's like, who gives a shit about you? You know, let's talk about the cheese. You know, does it taste good? You know, that's right. what people want to know. So it wasn't fun for me, and especially I got some up and coming actors and actresses, and the same thing. You know, they were in a little movie or something like that, a little like indie film or something like that, and then it became so the show went down the energy was down and it was like why are you guys so serious you know bring the energy up right. you know, let's have fun here and it became too serious and I was like okay this isn't working for me so what I end up doing is totally throwing that format out and I just started doing improv with I just said I'm going to have a casting for people who can dress up in characters and let's just be, be these people who are characters and I had a character named Bessie May like this and then I had a, an Asian lady a black lady a, me that I thought I was black but I was white Right. and then I had other people come on and we would just do improv but then that even became there's no structure because it's not sketch comedy you know that was like you know what this is way too much so I stopped doing it and that's when I wrote my book yeah so what's your book what's your book's title my book is called get a date today how to market yourself for love now how did you decide to write the book I mean I mean you were bored from the improv I mean what made you sit down and go you know what I'm gonna write a damn book because a lot of people sit there oh, I could write a book but they never sit down and do it have you always wanted to write a book I had always wanted to write a book but I thought I would write a book about me getting kicked out of the military okay that's what I thought my book would be about and I could just never bring myself to it was too it, honestly it was just too sad for me you know I mean, it was like the story of tragedy but I'm like well who's going to want to read this you know even though it would have probably had a gay following I didn't want to do it so I'd always thought I would write this book and um, I started taking um, you know after I finished um, my, my schooling I started taking all these seminars you know I became a seminar junkie I'm not even kidding I spent $25,000 going to seminars okay they're not cheap trust me they're like $3,000 a pop and I took this one seminar because I thought how can I parlay my personality into how to make a living and I thought I know I'll be a motivational speaker because I'm good on stage, I can interact with other people. And so I took the seminar and it's supposed to teach you about how to become a seminar leader. And they said, well, the first thing is, is if you're a seminar, a motivational speaker, you need to be an author. Because if you say, oh, please welcome Vicki Wagner to this day, you know, here right. she is. Or if you say, here comes author Vicki Wagner, the author of blah, 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 that gives you clout. Right. Okay. I mean, you could write the Itsy Bitsy Spider. It doesn't matter. You're the author of the Itsy Bitsy Spider. Right, right. Here they come. Yay. 
And that's what they say because in people's minds, psychologically, that's what the, the audience is thinking. Oh, you're elevated up to a higher level, regardless if your book sucks or not. You're just already elevated in their minds. So we had to um, teach a seminar. They gave us 30 minutes to teach a seminar to our friends. And they said, you have to come up with something to teach people. I'm like, what am I going to teach people in 30 minutes? And I had just been on internet dating. You know, I was just on internet dating. And I had um, 6,000 hits on my profile. And within um, three months, I had 2,000 hits on it. And I had some friends who were like, oh, my God, we don't have any. They had like three hits in a year. But all I did, Steve, is honestly, when I first got on internet dating, I treated it like I was booking myself for a comedy show, like if I was writing to right. a booker. I was like doing a biography, basically, to impress the, the booker to hire me. Okay. And that's how I treated my online dating profile. And I'm like, that's why everybody looked at my profile, because it you know, had a great title, my headshot, you know, it said something that was interesting. So I taught my 30-minute little thing. I'm like, oh, I could teach somebody how to get a date. <laughs> you know, okay. I'm like, I'll teach people how to get a date. So I took my background with Lesbian Knows Best and, you know, of course, all the guys and the girls I knew. And I literally, I, I spent 14 hours a day for like a whole year and I wrote this book. And it's 250 pages. So it's not like, oh, it's just chintzy little book. You're getting everything I've ever learned. And I wrote that book and then I started thinking, oh, I'm going to give seminars on this book. And then the same thing happened. I'm the kind of person, I'll do something and then I get bored with it. Okay. So now the book, though, the book just encompasses advice or what, I mean, what is, is it a how-to? Yes, it's a, it's a, actually, it's, it's a mixture of a funny how-to book, but gives you really good advice. Like, if you can't get a date after reading that book, there's no hope for you. So you put your, you put your comedic background in the writing with yes. it. It wasn't all just like, you know, no. how to get laid no. by dummies, how to get laid. No, it wasn't. Okay. So you did that. Now, does, is that this become popular? Oh, yeah. Well, some people think, people think, a lot of people think, oh, that book's hilarious, but I didn't write it to be a funny book. Okay. I, did, I mean, but it's got my personality in it. So I wrote the book to give anybody advice on how to find, literally find the person who's right for them, not just to get a date. I mean, literally, if you have never found the right person for you, this book will help you find that person because it's all about what's inside of yourself. It has nothing to do with the outside world. It's because most people don't really even know what they want themselves. They have no idea. So, so have you gotten some good feedback from people who you've helped out a lot? Oh yeah, yes, mean, that must yes. be very. That must make you feel great. I mean, if you help somebody, do you get fan? Do you get letters? From I've people? gotten letters. Yes. Okay. I've gotten letters from people. You know, thank you so much. This advice helped me so much. I mean, a lot of guys actually. I have a big guy following. Okay. Really, I mean, I'm. I, I mean, I'm hit with girl. I'm a hit with girls too, but I think because guys really want to know how does a female really feel, and that stems even from the lesbian knows best. I mean, I've been getting so many letters from guys for so many years you know can you help me with this can you help me with that and thank you your advice really worked and I didn't know that just some things that you know you wouldn't probably think about okay so you get you get done the book and you know, now you're, you're selling the book and you're an author yes and now do you do motivational speaking I did. Okay. I did some motivation. And you got speaking. bored. Well, what happened was, is you know, when you're the speaker, you need to rent out this space and this and that. And I honestly got busy with some other things. You know, I was like, okay, I wrote this book, and then you know, I put it out there, and you can buy it online. It's an ebook too, and you can download the book as a PDF. And I thought, okay, but the thing is, is when these people were doing their motivational things, you you're supposed to pair up with other people right to create a multi you know okay multi-person seminar so everybody can make the most money and they had so many parameters of how you're supposed to do it and then you're supposed to have you know i had a big email list but they want you to like hit these people with emails like twice a day every day and you know that's just not me 
right. I'm not going to bombard somebody. I'm like, you know what? And it gets annoying. It's, it's like, it's like, yeah, it gets very annoying. It got annoying. So I honestly just, you know, I've actually was just approached the other day to do a big seminar. Like they want me to do cruise ship seminars and, you know, but there's a lot of work entailed. And I just said, you know what? I always felt, and uh, honest to God, I just felt this isn't where my heart is. Okay. I felt comedy is where my heart is. So when did you decide to get back into comedy? I just decided in January. Okay, now what made you sit there and go, okay, you know what, I really do this. I mean, were you missing it a lot, or you just, you knew you wanted to do it, or now because your health's back, you're healthy, right? You're back. Are you on I'm medicine? Health. Yeah, I'm on medicine. Okay, so you, and you know now, so you're not going to be drinking the Coca-Cola. No. It's like me, it's like, I, I have to watch my sodium. So I don't, like every once in a while I'll cheat. Like when I go back east, my girlfriend, who, I mean, she's works out, she's, so I'm 48, she's 46. She's 103 pounds. Yeah. She works out all the time, but she'll let me. And she's not one of those people that goes out and just sits there and orders. No, she'll order food. She goes, I'm, I'm yeah. wasting my fat on good <laughs> stuff. And so I'm allowed to have a cheesesteak, a half cheese, you know, whatever. Everyone's smile. But now, so you, your body's under control, and you know you know, you have that problem, the diabetes. So you sit there and go, you know what? I can go back to comedy now? Is that basically... What happened was, you know, I've been dating the same girl now for five years. Okay. And it's a very stable relationship, which is something I've never had before. I've always had very chaotic, chaos relationships. Really, I had. And it wasn't until I sat down and write that book and took my own advice. Okay. <laughs> Seriously? That I found the person who was right for me. And so we've been together for five years. It's very stable. I have a stable home environment. My diabetes under control is under control. I do not eat like that or drink the pop or anything like that. And so I kept thinking to myself, I was forced, I felt like I was forcing these other things. I, was for I would do the motivational things and it was fine because I like to be up there, but I would be like, oh, you know, it just wasn't what I wanted to do. I really wanted to cut loose and be crazy, which you can't, of course, you know, as a motivational right. speaker, you need to be very contained and say very limited things and be very politically correct. And so I just had kept on thinking in my mind, I really should go back to coming in. But I was so dreading it because I didn't want to go back to doing the road and doing stuff right. like that. And then I just thought to myself, you know what? After, you know, I didn't think the Mayans, I did not think that we were going to die. I thought it was a joke, you know, the 2012 Mayan thing. But it brings you to mind, like, look, life is short. And is this really what you want to do with your life? And it wasn't. So I just said, that's it. I'm going to go back into comedy. And I just literally came back in Jan. I just made up my mind. I'm going to come back in January. And I can't even believe how much it's just the doors have opened for me. Well, and I know when I was, I was going for years, it's sort of scary when you come back. Very. Because, you, you know, you, and you sit there and you go, you know, and the one thing, I, I write a lot, like tweet a lot. And the funny thing is, I tweet all the time, but I don't use any of that on stage. People are like, you should use those jokes on stage. I said, nah, that doesn't fit into my act. But you sit there and you go, God, I don't want to do my old stuff. I don't want to do my, and then right. you worry if you're going to be funny or not. So did you, did you have, good. did you have a, uh, a weird reaction when you got Where? back where you like, a little, I was nervous. I was crap. nervous. My I knee was, was so shaking on my first time back. <laughs> I, I did over twenty five hundred paid gigs on the road, and my knee was shaking in some crap hole. Yeah, I. That's exactly right. Well, the thing is, when I thought, okay, well, how can I ease myself back into it? And so I kind of cheated a little bit because I thought, okay, a couple people booked me to be the MC. <laughs> it's easy to be an MC, you know, yeah. the MC. It's like, okay, you don't care. You carry the show, but you're not, you know, you're not having all the criticism on you, right? You know, because if you're the comic, you need to be funny, and then the MC comes, hey, you know, and just make some joke about the comic or whatever so I'm like okay I'll ease myself back into it but when I was like okay I'm going to do my first thing and I'm like I can't do any of my own material because it's so irrelevant I mean it's eight years right. old right and so I'm like I'm, I was so nervous I'm doing this little show is at the pig and whistle I'm doing this show but it was a great show great audience great crowd and I went I shook the MC's hand and my hand was shaking that's, funny. that's how nervous I was and I was like you know up there at the microphone I'm like okay get it together Vicky 
and I actually did a brand new set and it went over so well and then it gave me calm I was like oh thank god you know you breathe, breathe a sigh of relief that oh I still have it you know so how many nights is you hit the stage now a week are you trying to get up every night or no I don't because honestly I can't I can't handle it Okay. My body just can't handle it because I, w- I, I, w- I do the max three nights. Okay. Because it's, I tried four nights, like I did four nights, and I just immediately got sick. All right, like, so because you still, so you still, it's still the atmosphere too, right? I mean, is it? Well, it's like you got to go, you know, you're hyped up, you're ready, you know, you're, you you got to watch all the other comedians who are there, give them energy, you know, and bring it up. And then, you know, I think it's because of inside your body. You know how you are when you're up on stage? Right. It's an adrenaline thing. Yeah. And I think because of the adrenaline rush, you're up there and you're on a high and then or a low if it didn't go that great. Because let's face it, I mean, I have had some great shows already and I've already had some shows where like they weren't bad, but they weren't great. But yeah, I mean, that, that happens, you know. I mean, it's... It's people get frustrated, but that's good that you think that way because a lot of people sitting there think every show is great. No, it's not, and it's not because I've worked with some of the best, and they've had some crappy shows, and I've had some crappy shows. And you're like, I'm doing the same exact material, but right. just not, you know, whatever is to delivery or what. So now um, this airs Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday, and now I believe you're at a show at Flappers coming up. Yeah, on Thursday night I'm going to be. Um, I'm a quarter finalist in the semi, the California's funniest female contest. Okay. And I honestly, just to talk about that, that was the second show I performed when I got back to comedy. All right. Like, I, I, I was like, well, that it just happened to be that in February, that's when the contest was starting. So I just said, okay, I'm going to jump. If I'm going to jump back in, I'm going to jump back in. And I went to the contest and I made it. You know, I was like, okay, that gave me confidence. I still am funny enough to move to the next round. But it's at 9.30 at night in the at Flappers on Burbank this Thursday, April 25th. In the Yoohoo Room. That's right. Okay, now uh, they can go to flappers.com to check that out, and they can get tickets there. And I think Char- my friend Charlene Mays, I think, is in that is in that contest. Charlene's a Charlene Ward. Charlene May. May? Oh, okay, I'm not sure. Yeah, I think she's in. Actually, I got the fly. I see the fly. I see the flyers. People post that stuff. So, any other gigs coming up in the near future? Oh yeah, on um, I'm gonna be. There's this huge event called Single de Mayo. It's for women, May 5th. It's a huge thing, Single de Mayo, on the, on the MC of that. Um, I'm also going to be doing a show uh, May 12th, Nonstop Comedy Flight. That's in Santa Monica. There's a show I've got on May 7th with uh, Ray Camacho and his thing, you know, Ray and his friends. Oh, at uh, Casa Torres? Yep. Okay, I'm yep. headlining that May 21st. Oh, so you're on May 21st? Yeah, okay, I won't be yeah. there that night, but I'm with uh, Rick Rome as the headliner. Oh, yeah, okay, yeah I'm, I'm two weeks after I'm headlining it. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, yeah, so, so how about give a... So, so what's this? Where's this sing, single de Mayo? Where's that at? It's at a private residence in Hancock Park, but they have their, their website and everything, and it's a fundraiser. Okay. And the, the money goes for a charity and everything, but it's supposed to be for... It's actually, that one is for lesbians. Just okay. So I'm going to clarify that. But can the, can the public go? Oh, yeah, of course. So how do they find the information? Yeah, you know? the, the, yeah, you go sing, it's single, S-I-N-G-L-E, D-Mile, like single, like single de Mile, but, but single. single de Mile, and it's on May 5th. And you're hosting that, so yep. you're, not, you're not doing as much as your, of your act, you're just... No, okay. I'm just going to really be the master of ceremonies making it happen. That's fun. good. Yeah, you don't want to go back on road though i i do i will go back on the road but i'm i can't go as much as i mean they have to be big booked gigs okay you know what i'm saying like okay i'm going to this gig we're gonna go there it just cannot be the grind of every single night like performing because i honestly can't do it yes well i hope your health stays good i mean and, and you know and it's something people you know we all get your bodies checked once you're over 40 because you know i mean we, we, both, we both we both got lucky i mean you know we caught this stuff before it was overwhelming you know i mean i could have been dead you could have been dead and so yeah you gotta really check yourself out people and uh, you know you 
and you can get good health insurance. Um, I, I pay a good rent. I pay good money for mine. I found it, and you can find it online. Just go out there and get your health insurance. And I'll give all your info so where people can find. Give all that, the Twitter, the Facebook, the blog, okay. that, all that stuff, the book, the website, uh, the website right up here. Give it all up. Okay, well, you can find me on Twitter at Vicki Wagner, and it's V-I-C-K-I-W-A-G-N-E-R. Okay. I'm on Facebook. How'd you get that? Because that's a pretty common name. How'd you get that Twitter I account? I was first. Okay, you got lucky, man. I was first. Because, I mean, I, I mean, got... I, I know, I was first. I got on Twitter. I was an early adapter on Twitter. I can't even get coopertalk.com. I got coopertalk.net. <laughs> oh, God, yeah. So, well, that's what happened to me with my, my website. My website is vicky-wagner.com because I could have jumped on the bad wagon and got it, and I did it, and some real estate agent took that name. So I'm like, well, i got to get my name out there. And on Facebook, of course, I love my Facebook fans. And you can find me on Facebook forward slash the Vicky Wagner. The? That's right, okay. the like I'm the Vicky Wagner, All right. you know, because I was like, okay, a couple other Vicky Wagners already had it. I'm like, okay, well, I'm the Vicky Wagner. Okay, well, that's cool. Well, I want to thank you for coming on, Vicky. I appreciate it. Uh, people go check out her website. She's got some press there. She's got videos. She has a lot of stuff. Uh, for me, uh, this Friday, I'll be at uh, the Comedy Cabaret in Marlton at the Casa Corolla Restaurant on uh, Route 73. I'll be honest, I'm just doing about 15 minute set. It's right around the corner from Joanne's place, so I said I'll go do a guest set. Also, follow me at Cooper Talk on Twitter at Cooper Talk. I have about 3,800,000. I mean, 3,800 followers. I want to get about 5,000, so keep pumping it up. Uh, Cooper at Indy100.com. Send me an email, folks. You know, I'd love to uh, get some feedback, um, see what guests you want. I try to get guests every once. Also, coopertalk.net. I have about 140 episodes up on there. And if you go to iTunes or Stitcher Radio, type in Cooper Talk, one word. That's Cooper Talk, one word, and all those episodes are up there, so you can listen to it on your smartphone. You can do whatever you want. And I want to thank you. I want to thank you again, Vicki. Thanks, And go, go to vicki-wagner.com this Friday, Comedy Cabaret in Marlton. I'm Steve Cooper. I'm only as hip as my guests. Hit me up at coopertindy100.com. Have a wonderful, wonderful weekend.